Remember, don't get stuck with another sticker company. Stick with StickerYeti.com for all of your sticker needs and much, much more. Sticker Yeti is the place for all of your needs when it comes to stickers. Check them out today. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. I am Billy Powell, your host. As you can see with us is World Series champion, 1975 Cincinnati Reds, uh, over 11 years of Major League Baseball playing. Uh, he is a motivational speaker. As you can see right there, there's the World Championship trophy. That is awesome. Uh, he's also a motivational speaker. He also has a book out, which is called Welcome to the Big Leagues, Every Man's Journeys to Significance. And you guys all know that a lot of my shows are about Indiana high school basketball. So this is six degrees of separation. This man was an outstanding three-sport athlete at Hammond Morton in uh, Indiana, Hammond, Indiana. And uh, it is Daryl Cheney. Daryl, thank you so much for spending some time with us and uh, helping to keep the nostalgia alive and talk about your baseball and your, your baseball career, your sports career and coming from Indiana. Thanks, Billy. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here with you. When you talk about nostalgia, you're going way back when you quote me on here, but I'm for it. Let's go, man. Yeah. I appreciate being on your show. Um, well, well, tell everybody a little bit about uh, uh, your family and growing up in Hammond, Indiana. Well, uh, uh, Hammond's up there in the northwest corner for all those folks that aren't geographically inclined. So uh, steel mills, oil refineries, uh, that was the dirty, uh, polluted uh, northwest part of Indiana where I grew up. My dad was a uh, pipe fitter at an oil refinery for 35 years called Sinclair Oil Refinery. Matter of fact, between the time our, our uh, uh, high school baseball season ended, and the time that I got drafted by the Reds, my dad got me a job working at that oil refinery. And uh, I, I determined while I was there that there was no way I wanted to live that kind of life. God loved my dad and God rest his soul. He, he clocked in and out of there for 35 years. And uh, we were, we were, you know, we had a, we were brought up in a 900 square foot home. Uh, my brother, my, my sister, myself, and my mom and dad. And uh, when my sister came along, my, Dad worked a lot of overtime, and my mom became a road guard and a cook at the local Catholic grade school to make extra money to add 200 square feet on the back of the house. So mom and dad moved into the, that new bedroom we built back there, and my sister got the, the master bedroom that my mom and dad had. My brother and I slept in the same room uh, together. So uh, that's that was our atmosphere that we grew up in. It was one of those typical... Uh, you know, 50s and 60s families that grew up in the industrialized society and, and learned to work hard, play hard, pray hard. Uh, we were, um, mom and dad brought us up as Catholics and took us to Catholic grade school. We probably would have gone to Catholic high school, but it cost too much. Uh, so uh, I would have gone to a school named Bishop Knoll had they wanted to go that route. But uh, we went to public schools after grade school, and that was Hammond Morton. And uh, you know, I became a I became an avid sports fan when I was a little kid, like everybody else. And I can remember coming home from school there at OLPH, our Our Lady of Perpetual Help grade school. And I would uh, I walk to school and and walk back, and I'd get home. And and in the spring and summer, when the Cubs games were on television, uh, they they broadcast all the games on TV on WGN, and I, I fell in love watching Ernie Banks uh, play shortstop. So he became my idol. And I really idolized him, uh, you know, wanted to be like him. He was a great inspiration in my life, much to the point where 
when I was 12 years old, uh, and I had told my dad when I was eight, seven, I'm going to grow up to be a major league baseball player because of Ernie Banks. I'm going to be just, I want to be just like Ernie Banks. And, and uh, when I was 12 years old, our last year Little League, Ernie Banks became our, our, our uh, he was our uh, banquet speaker. And it was in August of 1960. And uh, we only had one Little League in town, but it was a big one. And uh, we had one banquet and uh, Ernie was, Ernie was uh, our speaker and he, he had a hit a home run that day. And he drove from Wrigley Field to Hammond at the St. Michael Ukrainian Hall. And uh, boy, I can, I was so excited to, you know, hopefully get a chance to meet him. I had my program ready. It was just a, you know, fold over piece of paper and that uh, said Hessville Boys Baseball Banquet, Ernie Banks speaker. So I had my ink pen ready to go and told my dad, I said, I want to get his autograph. And my dad said, well, you've been waiting a long time for it, man. We've been, we, I went to a couple of Cubs games with dad and worked my way down to try to get his autograph. You couldn't get near the guy. Everybody loved him so much. And uh, so there was my opportunity to get an autograph from my, my role model and my idol. And we sat in the front row of that banquet hall and the, 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 the dais was up on a stage. So that's where Ernie sat. We were right below him. And uh, we had an organ player, a piano player in the back of the hall, started playing, take me out to the ball game. So I knew he was there. And he came in the back door and everybody just rushed back there to get his autograph and I couldn't get near him. And I told my dad, I said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm worried I'm not gonna be able to get his autograph. And my dad said, and my dad had something to do with this, I can tell you. He said, well, look, uh, just keep your ink pen handy and your program there. When he's done speaking, since we're sitting so close to him, uh, you can catch him on his way out, be the first one up there, just jump up there and get his autograph. And so I was ready. And he spoke for about 25 minutes, and I could quote you the whole, sp whole speech. Um, but the thing that impacted me the most that I, 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 I stand by this day is he said, uh, to the moms and dads and the kids that were in the audience, he said, I just want you kids to know that uh, I know I'm a role model to a lot of you out there and I want to be a good one. So I, I want you, when you go to work, I want you to work hard. When you go to play, I want you to play hard. And when you go to pray, I want you to pray hard. And I said to myself, you know, my dad's been telling me that. <laughs> my mom and dad have been telling me that for 12 years. But it meant something different coming from him, you know. And uh, so when he's done talking, listen to this, Billy, when he's done talking, and this is all detailed in my book, and we can go over that later, but in my book, he said to me, uh, he said to the audience out there, he said, you know, before I leave, there's one more thing I want to do. I understand that there's uh, a lot of kids out here in this audience that uh, look up to me, but uh, there's one especially out there that I want to meet. I understand he really wants to be a major league baseball player. He wants to be just like me. And I said, man, I'm sitting right here below him. I said, man, are you, that's me. Are you talking about me? He said, now this young guy is a pitcher and a shortstop. I said, I'm a pitcher. I'm a shortstop. <laughs> Golly, Lord, he's got to be talking about me. Work hard, play hard, pray hard. He said, he said uh, this guy also uh, threw a no-hitter this year. And I was, you know, I threw a no-hitter when I was 12 years old. Literally. Said, oh, man, that's me. He's got to be talking about me. Please call me up there. And he said he also plays for the Tigers. So that was me. And he said, uh, so if this young man is still here, uh, I'd like to come up, uh, come up on stage here and I'd like to shake his hand. 
And uh, so Daryl Cheney, will you please come on up here? And my dad, make sure he had a smile on his face. He said, no, get his autograph while you're up there. I walked up onto the stage. I'm 12 years old. I looked up at him. He was like giant of a man. He had a three-piece blue suit on, red tie, white shirt, looked like a banker. And of those folks that don't know who I'm talking about, uh, Ernie Banks is the first African-American uh, athlete, a professional athlete in Chicago. He's in baseball's Hall of Fame. First shortstop to ever hit 512 home runs. But on and off the field, he was that kind of a role model. When, um, when I was watching him play, not only could he hit, he had the five tools, hit for power, could run, throw. He also stood at attention when they played the national anthem with his hat over his heart because he knew what the words of that song meant. We've lost our way there, ladies and gentlemen. We sure have. And um, he knew that he was, he was playing baseball and, and a lot of men and women put their lives on the line, just like they're doing today, so that we could live in a free country like this and he could have an opportunity to play baseball. And he came up during the you know, post-Jackie Robinson era, so not too far behind Jackie. And it wasn't easy for him, both in the big leagues or in the minor leagues, as I come to find out later when I got to know him really good. And, and so all this was going through my mind uh, when I went up there and he, and he put his arm around me and he kind of gave me a hug and he said, now, young man, he said, remember what I just told you, uh, work hard, play hard, pray hard. And he says, now, I always want kids to also learn to tell the truth. That way you'll never have to remember what you said. And I said, boy, isn't that good advice for a 12 year old? Yeah, well, it's good advice for a 72 year old grandfather, three boys, you know? And he put his arm around me and said, now, you know what you tell the audience the truth? What do you really want to be, Daryl, when you grow up? Tell them the truth now. And, it, you know, he still had his arm around me. <laughs> I looked up at him and said, Mr. Banks, all I ever want to be is a major league baseball player. I pointed at him. I said, I want to be just like you. So he took the program and he signed it to, to Daryl Cheney, Ernie Banks. I'll see you in the big leagues. Well, man, I mean, that's a, that's a treasure for a 12-year-old kid. Plus what he said. And I took that home and I took a thumbnail, uh, a thumbtack, and I put it up next to my cross behind my bed, work hard, play hard, pray hard, learn to tell the truth, Ernie Banks, see in the big leagues, Daryl. And nine years later, that happened. I got to play, I got to make the major leagues at the age of 21. Uh, we were in a summer series around June, I think it was, it's in the book. And uh, I got to play uh, this one particular uh, weekend series. I think I, I played for Tommy Helms. Our second baseman was hurt or something. And I, on a Friday, on the Friday game, I, I, you know, I wanted to get near him and say, Hey, do you remember me? You know, I couldn't get near the guy. He was, he sometimes didn't take batting practice because he was busy or signing autographs and hugging kids and taking pictures and things like that. Things that I had dreamt about doing once I got his autograph after that banquet. And the second day of the series on a Saturday, uh, my first time up, I hit a bullet double to right center field. I didn't hit many, I didn't hit much at all, but I didn't make doubles. And he was moved at that 1969. If those Cubs fans remember out there, he was moved from shortstop to first base. They had a guy named Kessinger come along, and the Cubs had a really good team in '69. They had the pennant one, and uh, but they blew it. They had a 14 game lead in uh, August and let it and blew it. Uh, he uh, he he. Uh, was was just as good a first baseman as he was a shortstop. Still hitting home runs too. So I hit this double and I'm thinking, running the first base, should I stop? 
<laughs> Should I stop and say, hey, remember me? I, you know, quickly, quickly moved on. I can run pretty good. I got the second base. And, and mom and dad and my brother and sister were sitting behind the third base, the, uh, the first base dugout there at Wrigley Field. And I knew my dad thought it was a great moment. And, you know, he's getting to play against his idol. And my dad was my, my coach and, or manager ever since I signed up to play Little League back when I was seven. In my second time up, I hit a little chopper over the mound. Like I said, I could run. I beat it out for an infield hit. Now I'm on first base. I'm standing there on first base. And I'm thinking to myself, there he is. You know, I'm stepping on his foot almost. I got my foot on the bag. I got my hand on my knees. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, thanks so much for getting me here. Because at the end of the day, uh, thank the good Lord for that, for that opportunity. And so I'm standing there and said that quick prayer, I stand up and this big old black arm comes around me and he puts his, he puts his arm, Ernie puts his arm around me and he yells out real loud. Now we had 36,000 people in the stands probably. We always packed them in when we came to Chicago. And Ernie said, Daryl Cheney, Daryl Cheney, how you doing young man? I know it's a long way from this banquet back in Hammond, Indiana. Wow. How long ago was that anyway? And I said, well, about nine years, three months, 27 days. <laughs> and, um, uh, Anyway, he put his arm around me, and only the Cubs in the infield could probably hear what he was saying. He said, well, welcome to the big leagues, young man. I knew you'd make it. Now, he probably didn't remember my ugly mug from nine years earlier, uh, but that morning in the Chicago Sun-Times, there was a little blurb in the back of the sports section that said, Red's rookie dream comes true. And it was a little story about me wanting to be just like Ernie Banks and hoping that I get a chance to meet him, play against him, and all that. So that was a big moment in my life, obviously. And, and um, I followed Ernie, you know, I played against him for a few years there before he retired. And uh, in, in 1976, I got traded down to the, to the Braves in Atlanta. And sure enough, uh, the, the Braves have a big uh, booster club called the Braves 400 Club. And before the 76 season, and I was a speaker at the time, uh, Ernie, Ernie Johnson uh, Sr., the, one of the uh, Braves broadcasters who played in the big leagues, said, hey, we're honoring Ernie Banks. And I said, yeah, man, I can't wait to see if he remembers me. He said, well, would you like to introduce him? And I said, there's nothing more I would love to do. And I said, I hope it doesn't take too long, but I, I got to tell this story as quick as I could. So I get up there to introduce Ernie and Banks, and he's two seats away from me at the podium. And uh, I'm telling this story to him. Look, I look down at him, and he's got some tears in his eyes. And, um, you know, you just think about it. Uh, he realized, I'm sure, that, that I was one player that he really had an impact on my life. And um, so I said, and we honored, uh, who did we honor that night? Uh, Hank Aaron. Uh, I think it was Willie Stargell uh, and Ernie and a couple of the current Braves players. <clears throat> and I said, in all due respect to all the other wonderful players that are here today, I got to tell you, in my eyes, in my mind, this is the greatest player that's ever played this game. Not for what only he did on the field, but for what he did off the field and the impact that he could have on a young life. And um, so I said, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ernie Banks. Well, we got a standing ovation. I mean, a big crowd, big banquet. Ernie comes up, and uh, we got, they hand me the plaque. And we turn to face the camera. He manages a smile. I'm looking like I'm balling. 
and uh, I shake his hand and thank him. And, and uh, so all that story, uh, his, his 1969 card I've got signed and, and, and all this is all in one frame. Ernie's autograph is signed on his card from 69 and my rookie card from 69, I signed that and got it in the frame. Of course, that program that I had signed by him from 1960s in that frame. And then this picture of me handing Ernie that award is in, all in this one big collage frame. That's something that I won't, uh, I won't sell uh, because it's the story of, of uh, how a man uh, and a great athlete had a, can impact a young life. And it's an inspiration to myself when I talk to people and get to go out there and talk about my book because uh, my life mattered to Ernie Banks. I know it mattered to a lot of young men, but it mattered, Ernie Banks' life mattered to me and my life mattered to Ernie. And it all comes together in that. And of course, we, we cover it quite well in the, in the book. And uh, how about that, though? I mean, here's, and I wanted to grow up to be a Hall of Fame baseball player just like Ernie Banks. In the book that we have uh, called Welcome to Big Leagues, Every Man's Journey to Significance, the Daryl Cheney story, is about a guy who wanted to have that happen to him, but it didn't. And how do you, how do you, how do you understand how much your life matters when uh, you, you make, you, you, one of your dreams comes true and then, uh, then, then, then the others don't? Uh, your life still matters, not because even what Ernie Banks says about me, not because what my mom and dad said about me, my brother, my sister, my friends. Our life, my life, our lives matter because God says our lives matter. And he says it a number of times, how much he loves us in the, in the Bible. So uh, uh, th that's, that's, uh, that's my story from growing up uh, in an industrialized society and uh, it, was a, it was special moments. I, you know, there's a lot of things you forget as you get to be my age, but uh, uh, I haven't forgotten uh, that, uh, mainly because uh, God doesn't want me to forget it, because I believe when he wakes us up in the morning, he's got something for us to do. And uh, we just have to be alert to hear what his spirit might be telling us of what he wants us to do any particular day. And so when, when you asked for me to come on the show, I'm thinking, well, uh, he wants me on the show for a reason. He wants me to tell this little story and maybe it'll have an impact on, on someone's life. The book certainly has impacted a lot of lives and it's not a New York bestseller, but we're proud of it. The gentleman who wrote it is a Presbyterian pastor. I'm Catholic. We became really good friends along the way. We just, in matter of fact, uh, what is today? Today's Wednesday, Friday. We have, we've got a, we've got a, a zoom YouTube thing going on out there. You all could Google it and join us if you want Friday, nine o'clock Eastern time. We're finishing the last chapter of this book discussion in a zoom meeting. And it's been uh, pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty impactful. I've got a lot of friends back in Cincinnati that join in on this one. One is our, one of our bat boys from the big red machine era, uh, Warren Brown. We got a couple of big reds fans that join it. Uh, and uh, we discussed the book, and we'll do this again because uh, it's, it's gone over real well. We have a number of people that that uh, are on this are on the screen, and a number of people that watch it on YouTube. It's recorded, and so it's another way of reaching out there and having an impact on someone's life. And and uh, the people that are on the screen get a chance to uh, have their input at the end of the discussion. It's it's quite interesting to see. Uh, uh, young guys, older guys, uh, my grandson's, uh, my, my uh, oldest grandson is getting married in December. Uh, he's 20, 22 years old. 
it's impacted him. And uh, uh, if he gets off of his work, uh, he's a he's a weatherman for in making Georgia TV weatherman, just starting out his career. Um, if he's not working, he joins us. And uh, it's just neat to see uh, all these things happen uh, as a result of meeting Ernie Banks uh, in 1960. And which, if, if you remember back then, Ernie Banks was the first, one of the first guys to win the Most Valuable Player Award back-to-back -back years. He won it in 59 and 60. And, uh, you know, and the Cubs weren't any good in, in 59 and 60. Yeah, you don't see guys win MVP awards nowadays when their team isn't playing very well. But Ernie did. Yeah, Ernie did. He had, he, had, he, had, he had a fantastic career. So we just lost him a couple of years ago. Died, passed away of a heart attack. I believe he was 82 when he died. And all through the years, uh, I, I, I stayed in touch with him. Uh, he stayed, I ran across him at a number, a number of conventions that I uh, was working at. Uh, he was, uh, he would do a lot of, uh, he would do a lot of uh, representing uh, United Way van lines and sign autographs at these conventions. So I'd go see him there and, and uh, we'd reminisce and, and he'd bring me through the autograph line ahead of everybody and sit down and he'd talk to me while he's signing autographs and everybody's going by saying, who the heck is that guy? He gets to sit down and talk with him while we're standing in line here. They had no idea I played in the big league. So uh, I miss him. Uh, but uh, he has been a uh, he has been a force in my life uh, uh, since I was seven years old, since I first watched him on television. You know, Sorry to talk so long, but hey, that's a, hey, that's okay, man. Most of my interviews, I roll out that first question, and I'm, I just sit back and enjoy myself. So no, that's, that's nostalgia, right? So exactly, here we are. Exactly, exactly. You know, everybody's noticing that you're wearing that California Angels hat and not a Reds or a Braves hat. Tell everybody about uh, why you have that hat on today. Yeah, so thanks for asking. That's and that's why I wear it. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people remember me that I played for the Reds and the Braves, but I had but my son Keith. Uh, played two years of pro ball in the Braves organization. He was a shortstop, second baseman, shortstop in college. And um, he, uh, he realized that uh, he wasn't going to make it. So he came, he retired uh, from baseball and uh, even wrote a letter of resignation to the Braves. I can't believe it, but he did. Quality kid I raised, I tell you. He is, uh, and he came back to get into education. He became, uh, he's, he's been a principal in the, uh, in the Gwinnett County school systems here in Georgia, the largest employer in the state is the Gwinnett County school system. He has been um, an assistant principal and principal since he retired from baseball. He uh, uh, has, has been the principal of two major schools in, uh, in Gwinnett County. And currently, and he started this school, Mountain View High School. Well, his three boys uh, attended uh, his school. And Chase, our middle grandson, uh, is, was the athlete, uh, another Cheney athlete in the family. And uh, so we've got three generations of Cheneys that had an opportunity to play pro baseball. And um, it's kind of neat. Some, uh, some fellow gentleman named John Bauer in, in, uh, in uh, Missouri, who's the president of uh, a community college, a large community college, made posters of all three of us. Chase was drafted. Uh, uh, after his senior year in high school, he was drafted in the 14th round by the California Angels. And unlike in my day, uh, they gave him a bunch of money, 14th round draft boy. I, I can tell you because it's public knowledge. He, he was, Chase was a 14th round pick. He got $125,000 cash. Plus, 
when his career ends, uh, the California Angels will put him through college at four, year, four years of any major university in the country. So it's oh, a pretty wow. nice little package. He's got a fallback. He's a pitcher, not a position player, although he could hit. I want, him to, I want him to go in the draft as a hitter. But the Angels got him as a pitcher. He's, uh, of course, he's unemployed right now. He's on furlough from the Angels. He's not getting paid, which is, a, I think, a terrible thing the Major League Baseball did to these young kids. But the Angels got him on a workout regimen. He's, he's dedicated to it. He's working at a golf course to make extra money. Uh, and and, he's, and he's, he's, uh, he throws 94. He, he's got a, a great changeup uh, and a, a pretty good slider. And um, keep an eye on that kid. Uh, he's got a great name. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that were drafted farther down in the draft that uh, – uh, that, that, that make it to the big league. So he's anxious to get back going again. I can tell you when uh, he signed and he got this big bonus, I was the number two pick of the Reds back in 66 uh, and I got $6,000. And then, so to, to, to help chase out, to let him try to understand how fortunate he is today and how the, the money in sports has begotten, has, be, has, has become so great. And everything's not relative. Uh, it's, it's just not money. They've got, they got a great opportunity to make a lot of money in baseball today. So we had a going away ch a party for Chase after he signed and uh, went down to his house. And uh, I, I took my first nine years of contracts in the major leagues that I had with the Reds. And I, I just laid them out there on the counter, a uh, copy of the uh, contract. And I said, I said, Chase, I just want you to know how, how fortunate you are and what, what kind of an opportunity you have in front of you. I said, uh, what you get for signing Chase? He said, oh, real proud. I got $125,000 grandpa in four years of college. And um, I said, so to tell you how fortunate you are, I said, here's my first nine years of playing in the major leagues. Of playing in the major leagues. Add them up, Chase. Tell me how much they come to. And he said, uh, it comes to 121000 something. And I said, that's Major League Baseball. Just think if you get to the Major Leagues and, and, you, and your first nine years today, just take the minimum salary of a little over half a million, add that up. <laughs> you got yourself a pretty good life, pretty good career. So that's something I want you to think about when you, when you go to shoot for the Major Leagues, uh, how, how blessed you are to have the opportunity uh, to play professional baseball. So. You know, we've got three of us, uh, three generations, uh, and my son, Keith, is all in on Chase getting there. He's, he's backed them all the way and paid for all the travel ball and things like that. So that's the answer that California Angels had. When, when he signed, he went out there to Tempe to play in this uh, kind of a cross between an instructional league and a rookie league, you know. It was basically, you know, we're going we're gonna to teach you our way and work you out our way and everything. And the, and the league that he was in was – much of one, nobody, no fans came, things like that. But I went out to see him pitch a game, and um, he had he had just gotten off of a, a start where he had struggled. And Cindy and I were out there, and one of the guys that uh, a big fan of mine who lives out there in uh, Arizona came down to watch him play. So we had four of us, six of us in the stands, and Chase is pitching, and, and it was in August in in Tempe, Arizona. Imagine how hot it was. God, I was dying. It was so hot. And Chase is out there, and he threw six innings, struck out seven, I think it was, gave up two hits, no runs, 
And um, just grandpa was so proud. And I'm videotaping him and I'm texting his mom and dad all this stuff, almost pitch for pitch, uh, because they weren't there at that time. It was just uh, me and Cindy and, a, and this other couple. And I said, this kid, he's got something. He's got something. I mean, we're, we're here in the rookie league. He's, and at that time, he was only 19. I said, but he's got something. And uh, let's see what the good Lord takes him, uh, how far he goes in this game. So when I do things like this, I wear, I wear the Angels hat because it's Chase's turn. Keith had a shot at it. I played in the big leagues. And we're just proud to have three generations. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I, boy, I tell you, if I can live long enough to see him pitch a, a game in the big leagues, whew. it's a great game. It's a great game and affords a lot of opportunities to some kids. I just think it's a shame today, Billy, that Major League Baseball has decided not to take care of these kids. I mean, they're spending – I'm going to get my soapbox here for a moment. That's okay. Just saw today where Major League Baseball players – uh, Major League Baseball is paying for all these cutouts to have them in the stands, to have fans in the stands. And I don't want to cost, but I can tell you this, any Major League club, if they would spend a million dollars, a million, which is a drop in their bucket, to, they could pay their minor leaguers for the rest of this season. And now, some, now some teams good. did, right? Some teams did for a while. The okay. Angels did all the way through May, but they stopped okay. now. Okay. Now, maybe since they, when they start back up uh, Friday or so, maybe, maybe they'll come back and take care of these kids. They can communicate for a while there during the first part of COVID. They stopped paying them. The, 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 the young players were not even allowed to talk to their uh, coaches because their coaches were furloughed, uh, the minor league uh, instructors right. and coaches. And now they can communicate again, so, but they're not getting paid. And that's why Chase is working out there. And uh, he's learning to play golf pretty good, too. He can hit the golf ball a mile. But they're not, they're not paying. Uh, most of the clubs aren't paying their, their kids, and I think that's a shame. And, and it doesn't. You know, there's, baseball's a $10 billion business. They can take care of these kids. The, 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 the Major League Baseball players' pension plan is, is, is fully funded. They've got $3 billion in the pension plan. They ought to reach back and give some of the older players, I'll take some, uh, some more pension money. It's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt them. Not gonna hurt them at all. It's gonna help a lot of older guys. There's guys my age um, and, and, and older that uh, it just doesn't seem fair that their pensions are as low as they are. And uh, we should really help those guys out. But uh, that's the way it is. Uh, you know, that's the way it's been and, and um, uh, I was involved in the Major League Alumni Organization for a number of years and, and uh, ended up being the, uh, the chairman of the board of the Major League Alumni Marketing Group, which is a for-profit arm of, uh, of Major League Alumni. And uh, we, we, we lobbied uh, a few years ago to get some of those older guys some more money, but it still isn't, it isn't near what a guy can, you know, can, can get today. A player today only needs 43 days to be vested in a major league pension, 43 days. When I played, I started out in, in 69, it was, we had to have five years in, full years in total. And then we dropped it down to four. And that went all the way till uh, 1980 when they dropped it down to 43 days. But there's a lot of guys in a, in a, in a, in a window there that uh, aren't getting something and some aren't getting enough, but uh, it is what it is. So uh, I try to make 
my my youngest grant my, my middle grandson Chase understand all this because uh, there's an opportunity for him uh, to become very wealthy. Uh, I mean, what's the minimum salary this year? Five hundred and thirty-five thousand, I think it is. Uh, and and so uh, today, if 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 you were a, if you if you were a player in the major leagues today or the last twenty years, and you got and you played twenty years in the big leagues, ten years in the big leagues. And you waited till you were 62 or 60 to draw your pension. You you make 150, 200 thousand dollars. Pretty good deal. Pretty good deal for baseball. But it's a great game. Uh, they've messed around with it too much, in my in my opinion. I don't know. You know, I I was disappointed when they went to the DH in the American League. Now you you can't knock a guy over at home plate. You can't knock a guy down at second base. You know, they're going to put a guy on second in the extra innings to speed up the game and thinking that's going to be good for the game of baseball. It was so, it was such a pure game for over a hundred and what, 50 years. Yeah. I don't know why they messed with it, but they, they did. Um, I remember the way it was meant to be played though. Cause I played it that way. Did you actually make it to ball state to, to uh, go to school uh, or did you sign with the reds before that? And also what big 10 schools could you have possibly gone to if you had wanted to? Well, I got letters of scholarship from all Big Ten schools and Notre Dame. Uh, for those viewers out there, I was fortunate enough to play in an undefeated state championship my senior year in football, and I was a quarterback of the team, and I was a defensive safety. So, and I became uh, Parade Magazine All-American number one. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that all happened, but it did. So it afforded me the opportunity to go visit a lot of schools. I got a call from uh, Ball State, and this is during this is during the baseball season, my senior year, and I was spending some weekends. I went to Iowa, Indiana, Michigan State. I got a call from Eric Parsegian uh, to come visit Notre Dame, and I said, "Well, Coach, I, he wanted me to come this certain weekend." I said, "I've already committed to go to Michigan State that weekend to see Coach Duffy Doherty." And Coach Parsegian said to me, "He said, well, well, we'll call you when the next uh, opportunity comes up.'" Well, I never heard back from him. You know. You know, when Notre Dame calls, you better go, buddy, especially if you're a Catholic boy, you know. So I don't know if they were disappointed, but I was disappointed I never got a call back. But in the meantime, I got a call from uh, uh, the head football coach at, at uh, Ball State, Ray Louthan uh, was his name. And he said, well, I want you to come. Now, we're not, we're not the Big Ten, but if you come to Ball State University, you're going to be my starting quarterback your freshman year and you will be my starting shortstop your freshman year. So well, how's that work? He said, come on, bring your mom and dad. So mom and dad and I drove to Muncie and uh, you know, see this, I think their stance sat about 8,000 back then. It was a, it was a division two school, but he said, uh, you know, you're going to be my starting shortstop starting quarterback. I said, well, how can I, how can I, can I, cause all the big 10 schools, they didn't want me to play back then. If you were on a scholarship, especially as a quarterback, they didn't want you to play spring baseball. They wanted you to f focus on football in the spring. And I wanted to play baseball. That was still one of my dreams. Uh, was, number one dream was still to play Major League Baseball. But I, I was a pretty good football player, and I knew I could do something. And so Coach Laughlin says, yeah, I says, uh, the reason you could be both is because I'm the head baseball coach too. I take time off in the spring and let my coaches handle football, and I manage the baseball team. And he ended up in it later becoming the athletic director there. So I signed to go to Ball State because of that. I took a lot of hits in the paper back home. People saying, well, the guy didn't think he could play Big Ten football and all that kind of stuff. Back then, I, could, I thought I could do anything I wanted to do. I was so good, you know, you know one of those big studs. 
And uh, so anyway, we signed to go to Ball State in two weeks after we signed to go to Ball State, uh, the, the, the uh, amateur draft came up. And, um, and in the meantime, I was sending letters, dear John, I sent a dear John letter to John Pond that had not been in the Antioch. That I was accepting a scholarship offer to Ball State. And now I get the offer from the Reds, drafted number two. And uh, I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. You know, number two, I'm the number two pick. I think I was the 44th guy in the country taken back. And we didn't have that many teams. And um, I said, man, this, is, this, this, this isn't that tough of a decision. I want to be a Major League Baseball player. Here I am. And uh, so I, I called up Coach Louthan and I said, I've got, to, I've got to go this route here. I appreciate the opportunity. But... You know, before I started thinking about being a football player, I thought about when I was seven years old about being a major league baseball player. And I got to pursue it. I got to pursue this dream. And, uh, but every time I've gone 0 for 4, every time I went 0 for 4, I said, why didn't I go to Ball State? <laughs> but uh, so anyway, I, 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 I when, the, and the, when the Reds came to sign me, uh, the, the, the guy that scouted me was a guy named Dale McReynolds. But he, uh, he had been alerted to me uh by uh, one of my uh one of our coaches uh, coach greg jancic was my one of my high school coaches coach georges and coach jancic and uh, coach uh georges hired coach jancic coach jancic pitched for uh six years in the minor leagues with the reds and got his highest triple a we called him big dog he was about six foot seven 250 pounds i mean he didn't want to mess with this guy Gentle giant. He taught school at Hammond Morton for 50 years and he coached almost that whole time. And so he had told uh, the Reds about me and the Reds send Dale McReynolds down to scout me. Apparently they like what they saw. And so I get, I get picked and coach George uh, Jansen said to me, he says, now I want you to hold out for a lot of money. You're number two pick. Well, we didn't have agents back then. And then, and then coach Dale McReynolds, uh, uh, the scout Dale McReynolds and, a, and the hatchet man, the, the, the cross checker, the guy that approves all the signs for the minor leagues for the Reds that year was a guy named Tony Rebello out of Texas. So they're sitting in our living room. The mom and dad are there in our big, you know, 900 square foot house. No, it was, we had a thousand square foot, no, 1100 square feet then we built that room on for Mary Kay, her sister. So anyway, we're in, this, we're in the living room and here these guys come into the living room sitting there. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what they're going to offer us. And they uh, opened the contract up and, and they said, we're, we're glad to offer you $6,000. Now we'll give you a college scholarship too, uh, but you got to go to college within two years after you sign this contract. I thought, well, that was a little bit of a, a bonus, but they sent me to winter ball for the first four years. And I, so I never got to go to school. And, uh, so Tony Rebello is sitting there and he says, $6,000, this is a chance for you to fulfill that dream, Daryl. And my dad's sitting there and he says, wait a minute, my, my dad's going to be my agent. He goes in the back room and he picks out all the scrapbooks like my mom had kept of me all during my high school career. And my dad starts going through the scrapbooks. He says, look at this. I just want you to know what you're dealing with here. You got this All-American quarterback, you know, he's a star basketball player. Look at he hit. 480 and Legion ball, high school stud, uh, that, you know, that's not enough money. And, and, and he's going through the scrapbook and those two guys are sitting there just being as nice as they could. Listen to my dad. My dad must've taken a half an hour 
of bragging on me. And you know, mom's sitting right there. She's the one that put the scrapbooks together. I still have all this stuff. And uh, Tony Rebello waited for my dad to get done and he just looked at us and he's he looked at my dad and he says, Mr. and Mrs. Chain, you've got to be so proud of that young man right there. And I really appreciate you going through all this with us. It really tells us more about your son and what we're getting. But if he doesn't sign this contract today, he's going to pass up an opportunity to play for the Cincinnati Reds. And we're getting pretty good. So my dad says, well, wait a minute, Daryl, come here. And he says, so we walk into the kitchen, which was about five steps away. <laughs> and we're in the kitchen. And dad says, uh, gosh, what do you want to do? And uh, the money didn't mean anything to me. You know, it didn't. The college scholarship tag didn't mean anything to me. I said, Dad, <laughs> I got a chance to play Major League Baseball. I got a chance. I got, this, is, this is it. I don't care what they, what they give me. And uh, Coach Jancic later tells me, he said, oh, they, they'd have given you $10,000 if you'd have held out. <laughs> you know what a number two pick today? There was, there was a number three pick this year that got $3 million because they had the draft. Yep. After only 20 guys and everything. But anyway, that was 50 years ago, 54 years ago. And uh, uh, so I signed that contract. The next morning, Dale McReynolds, the scout, was 7 o'clock in the morning. He was at my door. And I got a picture of my scrapbook with my mom. My dad had gone to work. My mom, my Aunt Jess, and me. And I had a little bitty suitcase. Daryl Cheney they took a picture of me, put it in the Hammond Times. Daryl Cheney's off to pro base. I'd never been on an airplane before in my life. Uh, I, I wasn't scared. I was, I was going to play. I flew to South Sioux Falls. He, Dale McReynolds took me to O'Hare Airport, flew to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and uh, started my baseball career, uh, making $400 a month, $2 a day meal money. And uh, that was it. That's off and running we were. But I'll never forget those, that day. My dad was so proud of it. He tried to give me more money by going through that scrapbook. <laughs> Today, you know, the agents just, uh, they got it all figured out, you know, and don't have to worry about it. But uh, that was how it went. That was how it went. What's it like being a World Series champion? And how long did that take to kind of settle into your mind that, you know, you, you, you are one of the few people that won a World Series? Billy, uh, to have people associate you with a, one of the best teams arguably the best team in the history of baseball and that being a world championship team. Uh, there you go. There you go. And if, if, if you look at that picture there, if you look, there's a bunch of legs behind there. One of the, the one with the <laughs> highest with the most white showing is me. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, it's, it's, uh, and the older I get, the more I cherish it. Um, because there's not a whole lot of guys got to, got to play major league baseball. Not a whole lot of guys got to play in three World Series and four National League playoffs. And the, and the realization of being a world champion, um, well, we didn't, I was in three of them and the third one uh, was the one we won. Uh, the, the parade that we had that day, uh, sitting in the convertible with my wife, driving from Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, winding through downtown and, you know, Cincinnati fans are really, really good. And uh, people hanging out of those skyscrapers, throwing confetti on you and uh, just cheering, you know, and we had some of the greatest players that ever played the game, man. 
uh, Hall of Famer, All Stars, you know, uh, champion, uh, uh, batting champions, Gold Glove winners, mul multiple times. To be connected with those guys, and then when we got to the square in Cincinnati to make comments, Sparky Anderson let me say a few words on behalf of the the guys that rode the bench most of the year. Uh, the, you know, the rest of the grade eight. <laughs> The grade eight guys uh, get a lot of attention and so d deservingly so. Um, but there were 25 guys that won that world championship and Johnny Bench made comment on that a number of times and one time at his Hall of Fame induction speech. So I got a chance to say on behalf of the guys that, you know, that were the, you know, the, the rest of the team, how proud we were to be uh, you know, on that team. We realized what our jobs were, and, and uh, we knew what we were dealing with going into all those great seasons there. So um, that's when it sunk into me, when we had that parade, and I even got a chance to say something. And, of course, I like to talk, and the other guys on the bench always said, well, let Daryl say something because he likes to talk so much. And, and uh, so I thank the fans, too, on behalf of all of us other guys. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I just, uh, I, th I think about if I hadn't gotten traded, I'd have two of those big rings. You know, I've got three the way it is, and one of them from the 75 team. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, if you just think about it, I'm 72. There's a lot of 72-year-old guys that uh, I played with or against that never, Ernie Banks never got to play in the World Series. Right. There's a, there's a lot of guys that I grew up with uh, that, uh, one of our pitchers on our baseball team, Bob Biscuit, who just passed away from COVID, uh, he signed with Cleveland Indians, hurt his arm, and he went to Vietnam. And he put his life on the line for two years over there, uh, one of them in infantry. And um, he didn't he, – I got, I got to play in the big leagues. He had to fight in Vietnam. Our catcher, Tommy O'Brien, had to go to Vietnam. One of our other uh, younger guys on their high school team uh, – Jim Bassey, who just died of diabetes, uh, played a couple of years, and uh, he didn't make it. And th those are those are athletes. But then there's some guys that aren't athletes that you know grew up wanting to be a Daryl Cheney, just just a chance to be a major league baseball player. So I know how fortunate I am, and I'll thank the Lord till the day I die for the opportunity he gave me. Perspective. Yep. Um, so let me, let us, let us all know, when did this book idea come to mind? And also tell us a little bit about motivational speaking and um, um, uh, where people can find you. Well, you know, I love the thing that you said earlier about, you know, uh, tell the truth then, because if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember your lies. Right. So uh, when I got, when I got, uh, well, my first, the first speech I ever made was back in, uh, 1970, my hometown of Hammond, Indiana, threw a day for me at Wrigley Field. And I hit 191 my rookie year, and I'm thinking, they're throwing a day for me? And they ended up driving a car on the Wrigley Field and uh, giving me a brand-new 1970 Pontiac Catalina. That night, I had to make my first speech at the Daryl Cheney Banquet. Pete Rose came. Woody Woodward came, my roomie. Uh, Tony Cloninger came. Jim Merritt came. Pat Corrales came. Uh, so I was, I was nervous making my first speech. Pete Rose wrote a number of jokes for me. I couldn't use half of them. But, uh, uh, and that, that, that day during the presentation, uh, the mayor of Hammond, Mayor Clinton, gave me the award and they brought the car out. And they asked Ernie Banks to come out and say a couple of words. 
And Ernie says, boy, Daryl, just think if you had a good year last year, they'd have given you a Cadillac. So that night I, I make my first speech. So that's how I got into speaking. I felt very comfortable up there. Uh, I talked for probably 40 minutes. And um, I said, you know, I, I'm pretty good at this. I think I can you know, maybe make a career out of it. Matter of fact, that year, uh, uh, um, Al Michaels was our radio guy. And Al Michaels said, uh, I think you ought to go to the broadcasting school. You got a resonant voice. You could be a broadcaster when your career ends. In the meantime, you learn how you know, public speak. So he sent me to, he got me involved in Columbia School of Broadcasting. So I got a broadcasting license. I used that later on. And um, so I get traded to Atlanta and um, I play my, my time out there. And I, and I, you know, Ted Turner buys the team. He's in, in TV and radio. He hires me for a couple of years when I'm done playing as a broadcaster. And along the way, uh, after my career ended, I met uh, this gentleman named Dan Hedinger, the Presbyterian pastor. And Dan, Dan says to me, uh, you know, I'd like to write a book about your experiences. We did one-on-one -on -one discipleships and things. So I, he, I told him some things that, you know, you wouldn't tell another person because you trust that man. And he wanted to write a book about how, how much my life mattered, even though I didn't think it was mattering during my career with the Reds, mostly. And uh, so Dan says, I'm going to write one of these days. I'm going to write a book about you. And I said, yeah, sure. Okay. And so, uh, oh gosh, 15 years ago or so, Dan gets, uh, uh, he was planting a church in uh, Castle Rock, Colorado. So he moves out there and he tells me, and when he moves, he says, keep this uh, book on the prayer list. Man, you know, he's going to still write this book. And I said, okay, sure. I got a prayer list I keep, but I wrote it down there. And I didn't think much of it. I prayed about it every now and then. One day, Dan calls me up eight years ago now, and he says, uh, I've got, I've got a friend in my church who uh, is a financial advisor. He, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna underwrite the, the cost of writing this book. So it's going to happen. I want you to fly out here, bring all your scrapbooks, and we'll collaborate on writing this book. Uh, he said, you've been, you've been, you must have been praying about me writing this book, right? <laughs> yeah. So we, I fly out there twice. Spent a couple of days each time with Dan, and uh, a year later, he, he, he goes up into the mountains and uh, writes, writes the book. And um, so he's the author of it. I wrote the intro to it, and the book is broken out into uh, innings. We've got the first chapter, which is an inning, top of the first, bottom of the first. The top of the first, I tell a story related to my life in baseball and the trials and tribulations and the wonderment of did, did my life matter or not. And then Dan writes uh, an experience uh, of his personal experience. He wanted to be Billy Graham. I wanted to be Ernie Banks. And we all came to a much smaller level there. Dan uh, ended up becoming a, a, a hospice pastor out there too. And uh, so, uh, and at the end of each chapter of the book, Dan asks questions that pertain to what Dan and I said in the chapter. And he ends up becoming a Bible study. And that's what we got. We're ending our first one on those uh, this Friday. Uh, it's the, the last chapter of the book. Uh, so it, the goal of the book was to provide a means for someone to read about a not-so-famous athlete that wanted to be a famous athlete uh, and a pastor that wanted to be a famous pastor because there's a lot of men, especially younger men out there, who uh, have gone through the same situations, may not have been a pastoral situation or a baseball situation, but life where they, they needed encouragement. 
And that's what this book was designed to do, to help them understand that their lives matter because God says so, no matter what anybody else says. Your life matters because God says it does. And so uh, we broke the book out seven years ago, uh, this December. Uh, again, it's not a New York bestseller, uh, but it, I can tell you it's impacted a lot of lives. It's impacted a couple of young men out in Colorado that were on a suicide watch list. And they got the book, they counseled with Dan, and they're off and running and doing a great job in life. Just one of those stories, hearing how that's impacted a man's life, tells me uh, my life was my life matters to somebody. The, the things I went through mattered. So there's two ways uh, to get the book. And if, if, if people want me to sign it, I'll be glad to come sign. I'll be glad to go speak at a church, a group, a, a banquet, and sign books. I don't make any money on the book. All the book, book money is donated to uh, the group that underwrote it called the Jakin Group. And, and those monies, Jakin is a 501c3, so it's a tax-deductible contribution. And uh, the Jakin Group takes those monies and helps young men who have fallen upon hard times. So I've got my own personal website, DarylChaney.com. That's two R's and one L in Daryl, DarylChaney.com. There's a link to the book on my personal website. And then my personal website, uh, you can see all the things that I've talked to over the years and things. And then uh, the book itself has a uh, website called Welcome to the Big Leagues.org. And you can purchase it uh, online there, Amazon, Indigo, whatever still sells it. Uh, but uh, people can buy the book online. A lot of people buy the book online. They'll send it to me. Uh, we're shipping and everything paid for, please. And then <laughs> I sign it and send it back. But, uh, you know, if, uh, if it's a big banquet and they want books, we can order them, ship them out to the banquet site, and I can get there early and sign them and talk to them. Uh, I've made, uh, the last seven years, most every talk that I've made is, is uh, geared towards one or two chapters in this book to where uh, it's been meaningful to me because I know uh, when I speak to the, whatever the, the chapters they want me to speak to, it's impacting somebody's life. Someone's life is, is being impacted. And it's impacting my life every time I, I talk about it. So, uh, yeah, if anybody's interested, that's how you get it. Um, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a great run with it. Uh, we're probably selling fewer copies now than we did when it came out seven years ago. But we're still selling copies. I got a, I got a garage uh, full of them. And if people want to you know, uh, send, you know, contact me directly until I run out, then I'll just order some more. Uh, but I use them here locally when I speak and so forth, take a few copies with me all the time. And because invariably, uh, someone will want to buy a, a book or two. And so we've got, we've got a soft cover, we've got a hard cover. The soft covers are uh, $20 and the hard covers are $30. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the instructions on if they write a check to, to go to the Jake and Group will you provide him a tax deduction as well. So thanks for letting me do that. Oh, hey, no problem, man. It's Daryl, D-A-R-R-E-L, Chaney.com, and also welcome to the big leagues.org, O-R-G, dot O-R-G. Um, I love these interviews where I roll out two questions and then boom, it's an hour later. <laughs> well, I like to talk. <laughs> I, I get paid for doing it sometimes too. So uh, uh, I hope I didn't bore you with it all, but... Uh, you know, you ask and I, I, I answer sometimes that they're too long, but 
it's it's uh, it's meaning for me to it's meaning for me to speak and and, uh, and tell the story that uh, how how God has impacted my life. No, Reds Nation will enjoy this. Uh, uh, everybody from Indiana will enjoy this. We thank you so much for your time, Daryl Cheney, World Series champion. Will you show us that trophy one more time? Oh yeah. <laughs> Got my, I got my ring put away in my jewelry case, or I'd show you that too. But uh, there's a there's a world championship trophy now. What happens when you win a world championship is uh, each player on the team gets a ring, and then uh, each player gets a replica of the world championship trophy. This this will uh, go to my grave, and then my son will take over, and so will all the rings that I have. I've got three grandsons, so I imagine somewhere down the line, my three grandsons will wear my 70, 72, and 75 rings. But, uh, and I'll show you one more thing because a lot of guys like me don't get to have these very often. There's only one of these out there. It's my Daryl Cheney bobblehead doll. Look <laughs> that thing. Most, you go to ballparks today, you know, you get up your first 20,000 to get a bobblehead doll. <laughs> and they made them of all, almost everybody that played on the big red machine, especially the grade eight, right? Yeah. Well, a guy that comes to my golf term, a young man I helped get, into, get going in the broadcasting business, his dad wanted to say thanks. So he went online. You can go online and get these things made. And he had one made uh, just for me. So it's, I'm keeping this too. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. In the background, you may be able to see I got one of Pete back there. But uh, that's I see it. Uh, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. Daryl Cheney, thank you so much. People go to welcome to the big leagues.org and also check out Daryl's website, DarylCheney.com. That's D A R R E L Cheney.com. Daryl, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is one great interview, and I think everybody will enjoy. Really, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. You all have a great day. God bless you.